Hello, welcome back to 1874 on The Athletic, a podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. Greg Evans, my usual partner in crime, is yet again on annual leave. So with the busy winter schedule, we've given him a rest from podcast duties. This week, I'm joined by The Athletic's Wolves writer, Tim Spurs, to preview the big game at Molyneux on Saturday lunchtime. And then later on in the show, I'll be joined by Samuel Timms from Villa and Proud, the LGBTQT plus fan group, to talk about the strides made by the network and being an LGBTQT plus Villa fan. And right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts, including this one. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else, so just go to theathletic.com slash villapod. That's theathletic.com slash villapod and sign up now. Hello, Tim. Thanks ever so much for joining me behind Enemy Lines today. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I'm I'm happy to have you on off the back of a of a four nil defeat. It's I fair to say, are. rather than <laughs> rather than having you on after after Wolves have, have won. But to, just to start, obviously, I'm, I'm making a little quip there to, towards the rivalry. But I just wanted to ask you about about it because I've got some thoughts my side of what I think about it that are probably a little bit biased. But I just wanted to get your your take on this rivalry. That I know they've always been rivals, but it's developed a little bit over the last few years. From I think when Doctor Tony was the owner of Villa, there's, there seems to be a little bit more of a rivalry now since that time in the Championship together. Yeah, that season kind of sparked it off, but it just seems it seems like a bit of a fake rivalry to me. I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's, all, it's all played out on social media, um, whereas in in reality, I'm not sure they're exactly the worst of enemies. Um, no. I mean, from a Wolves point of view, I mean, I grew up supporting Wolves in the '90s, and Villa were just irrelevant because you know they're on a they're on a completely different level. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's yeah. maybe that's what it like feels like to be a Warsaw fan. Um, everyone's just <laughs> just at, kind of out of reach, so you don't. It's hard to hate them, I suppose. But I guess you can always judge a rivalry by if it's acceptable for players to transfer between those clubs. And I think there are quite a few instances of, of Wolves and Villa. Uh, trading players over the years. I remember we bought Steve Froggart and Tony Daly yeah. back in the day, and then Hassan Cashlaw came on loan, I think, at one point as well. Um, Good memory. <laughs> so um, you can always you can always judge it on that, really. Um, you know, if 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 there was if there was an Albion player moving to Wolves, well, it just doesn't happen. It hasn't happened since 1993. There'd be uproar and um, and maybe even Blues, to be honest. But. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we tried to nick Tammy Abraham off you as well a, a couple of years ago when he was on loan. Yeah, I remember. So there would have been no no problem with that from a Wolves fan's point of view. So it's all it's all sort of on Twitter. And, and, and you know, well, we haven't played the Albion since 2012. And I'm not going to talk about when we last played them because we just not, we're not allowed to talk about it. Um, so uh, I think I remember the game. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, remember, I remember it well, deep in my memory somewhere. So um, yeah, and then it has ramped up, I suppose, in the past couple of years. But I don't consider Villa to be to be main rivals now. No, I mean, obviously there's the, the local element to it, but I think you're right with what you say. It does seem to have been stoked by, by social media yeah. over the last few years. Obviously the Wolves have got the, the whole mind the gap thing, which, which is, which oh, is that fair was, that enough. Was, that I was think, fun. I did enjoy that, yeah. Yeah. I think it's because, like you're saying, when you were younger, it was irrelevant. From as a Villa fan, from from a Villa point of view, it's, it's the same for me. We'd never really played Wolves yeah. when I was growing up. So I, I, I didn't, as a Midland sides go, I, I didn't. I didn't mind Wolves at all. But since you have got promoted, the gap between the, the two clubs felt like it was getting pretty big in, in Wolves' favour. I mean, you've been an excellent addition to the Premier League, and I've nothing but respect for, for what you've done. But it does feel a little bit this season like Villa have, have closed the gap a bit more quickly than I thought they would have done. Do, do you think that's fair? 
Yeah, def- definitely quicker. And, and you're right about the whole mind the gap thing. I mean, Wolves fans need a little excuse to kind of lord it over a club that was once perceived to be a lot bigger than them. And, you know, there's been a lot of that the past couple of years with things going, you know, so well for Wolves. But yeah, I think um, I think Wolves fans wouldn't have expected Villa to have such a good season this season after kind of only staying up on the, on the last day last season and you know there's definitely a level of respect there for what Villa have done and what Grealish has done um, and yeah there, there are a few I spoke to someone I was at Port Vale away last night for the covering the under 21s and um, someone someone came up to me and said oh I'm worried about this weekend we can't lose to the Villa so there is there is there is there is a kind of a feel about it that yeah that Wolves very keen to remain top dogs in the Midlands because it just doesn't happen. You know, from, from Wolves' point of view, it's been decades since Wolves have been the, the top dog in the Midlands, so they'll want to cling on to that um, non-existent title for, for a little while yet. <laughs> yeah, because if you'd have said to me, even this time last year probably, but I, I think back to the end, end of last season when you came to Villa Park, and to be fair, it was a, it was a terrible game. You beat us 1-0, but we felt like we were you were you were on a different planet to us. We were worlds away from getting getting to that level. So it is amazing to just think in, in one transfer window, you do feel like it, it, it's a lot more level. What do you think Villa, Villa have done to close that gap? Do you think it's solely down to the transfer market and what they've done there? That's got a massive part of it. And, and Wolves spent the summer investing in the future, you know, with buying a lot of young players and not, not necessarily massively improving the first team. And I think in this strangest of seasons, the summer had a lot to do with it in terms of having a break and having a proper pre-season. I heard Dean Smith Mm. talk a lot about how great it was to have a full pre-season and that's kind of helped them hit the ground running as as they certainly did in the opening four games. Wolves were the complete opposite. They had a 30 day window between two seasons, which is just crazy. And out of those 30 days, they spent about two or three together on the training ground preparing for the new season, which is just unheard yeah. of. And especially for a, a manager like Nuno, a training ground manager who who thrives on that time with his players. You know, he just didn't have any. And they basically had a couple of weeks off. They had an international break, ridiculously, before the start of the season. And then they managed to squeeze yeah. in two or three days training before the start of the season, which has really had an impact on Wolves and Villa the opposite because Dean Smith... A, made some great additions and B, got that crucial, what, five, six weeks with the players um, to really kind of hone uh, their style for this season, which has worked really well for them. Yeah, I mean, it's something else that's going to have a massive effect on Wolves. I've been reading your stories over the last few days in the lead up to the game and obviously Jimenez, who who we all wish well, he's going to be a huge miss for Wolves. You've you've labelled him the pivot of the team. How worried are you for Wolves without him? There is a concern. I mean, Jimenez has played every single Premier League game since he signed initially on loan in, in 2018 and his goals plus the goals of Diogo Jota and Matt Doherty, who they sold in the summer, accounted Mm. for 55% of last season's goals. So I did a bit of maths the other day and counted up the goal-scoring exploits of the 11 that took to the field at Anfield on Sunday and lost 4-0. And last season, those 11 players scored a combined 32 goals in all competitions. Including okay. inter- including international appearances, so they're not a that's not an eleven that's that's going to be full of goals. And Nuno's got to find a way, either with new personnel in January or perhaps with a different style this season, to get goals out of these players because traditionally they don't score many. And um, yeah, there there is an issue without him. And it's um, fortunately this well, I say fortunately, but if this was going to happen at a certain point, you'd want it to happen before a transfer window so that they can try and bring someone in in January. But they've got five games before then. 
and Jimenez's only backup in the squad is is 18 year old Fabio Silva who yes was bought for 35 million but he's not he's not ready to fill that role by any means so um so there's a lot of changes at Wolves at the moment. You know, the, the the Wolves that played Villa last season, it's a very different team now, very different formation and a different style. And they're still trying to work out what their best 11 is. And you've, you've seen that inconsistency in, in results. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Villa had that last season. Dan Smith didn't know his best 11 probably till till after lockdown. Mm. And it does have an effect on, on what happens. Because I've, I've been quite interested by Wolves' change of system over the last couple of games and to be honest it's not something I really like I don't think it suits you at all I think when you've played with the wing backs for so long I think it's really weird to see Wolves line up with four across the back instead do you see him sticking with that long term? See the thing is you know Wolves had two amazing seasons finished seventh twice and Mm -hmm. they did it with quite a defensive style a 3-4-3 but really you know they'd be getting nine men behind the ball at, at all opportunities and trying to hit teams on the break especially against kind of the big six and it was they they had a goal difference i think goal difference was plus 1 in the first season and they got it up to plus 11 last year but i went through all the goal differences of teams who qualified for champions league which is where they're aiming uh, in yeah. kind of the past 15 20 years you need a goal difference of plus 20 plus 30 really to be challenging the top 4 so i think nuno thought he's got he's got to change it and he and he said at the start of the season you know, he wants more more goals, more possession and more domination of matches. And he said it's a new cycle and they've bought players for the future and there's going to be a, a kind of a gradual change of style. The season started and they were really struggling for goals. Um, I think only, only the bottom three or four had scored fewer. And then Connor Cody had to miss a game because he was self-isolating. Um, yeah. And I think Nuno used that as an excuse, really, to kind of see what four at the back would look like. And that was against Southampton a couple of weeks ago. They ended up having more shots than they've had all season. A really good attacking performance, but very flawed at the back, which you'd expect with a, with a new system. Um, then they went to Arsenal and 1-2-1. Again, some fantastic attacking football. And then they've gone to Liverpool and, and been torn apart. So it's getting that balance right between defensive rigidity and the need to find and score more goals, which is which is what Wolves are going through. Ideally, he'd have done this during a pre-season campaign, but he hasn't been afforded that luxury. So that's why uh, he's doing it now, and it's trial and error. And um, that's why Wolves are kind of stuck in mid-table at the moment. Yeah, because a little caveat to that system change is that Villa have played the last two games, and we've lost we've lost them both to teams that play three at the back. Mm. So do you think that that will come into Nuno's thinking at all? I think I think we will see a horses for courses approach with this with this formation. I think in hindsight he'd have gone he'd have gone to Anfield and reverted to what he knows and sat deep and soaked up the pressure and tried to hit Liverpool on the break. But he went there with four at the back and no focal point up front. So it's very unusual to see a Wolves team like that. And lo and behold, they cut, they got torn to pieces in in the second half. So. I think he'll look at each game individually and decide on and decide on his system for it, depending on what the opposition looked like. However, at home, with the onus on them to attack, um, I think he may stick with 4-2-3-1 for this week. Um, okay. And maybe bring Fabio Silva back into the team is what I'd probably probably predict. The thing with um, the thing we're playing the three behind the striker is your three are Neto, Pedence and Traore, which is just, you know, phenomenal pace and skill and attacking talent. Yeah. And if Silva can play ahead of them, Okay, he's, you know, he's 18 and he's a kid and he's very raw, but at the very least he can distract defenders and, and be a nuisance to kind of open up space for these three behind him. And I think that's what Nuno really likes. But like I said, 
getting used to four at the back and Cody as a, as a centre-half in a four and Nelson Semedo at right back, they are going to potentially leave themselves exposed, which is what which is what Villa will look to exploit. This is all sounding very good, Tim. I'm I'm liking what, what you're saying here. And Adama Traore was obviously at Villa for, for a bit. We didn't say the best of him for all kinds of reasons, mainly the fact that we were pretty much a mess the entirety of the time he, he was with the club. But he's been on the bench a fair bit for Wolves this season. I mean, I know Jimenez is injured now, so he'll probably play a little bit more. And Traore ripped Villa last season at Molyneux. Absolutely killed us. I presume he's going to start. I would have thought so, yeah. he, um, he he's, had, he's had a difficult year, you know. Everybody, everybody, he had this amazing purple patch um, just over a year ago between kind of September and December that year and he was he was phenomenal I've, I've never seen a run of form like it from a Wolves player he killed he, it killed us he was doing it week after week to everybody and I think I think before the end of January last season there'd been about 25 players had been booked for fouling Trail Ray which is just phenomenal it was the only way to stop him was, was to foul him and then yeah. and then he had um, he had a shoulder problem so he dislocated his shoulder during a game and it popped out and they popped it back in and he played on. But this kept happening. It happened three or four times in the space of about three months. And you could see it, it affected him on the pitch. Uh, you, you, know, you can almost see he's thinking about it, if you know what I mean. And, and I guess you would do because a couple of those times, it was just a little tug on his shoulder. Um, Harry Maguire did it once at Old Trafford. And it just a little tug on his arm and his shoulder popped out. It must have affected his mindset. And we haven't really seen him back to his best since then. Um, and obviously, play, he's a massive target now. And players know if he's if he's playing, they've got to stick two on him at least. West Ham stuck three on him um, a few weeks ago. So he's try he's he's trying to modify his game. And to be fair, he was great at Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. Looked like the Traore of old. Um, but his end product has has fallen off a cliff. He hasn't scored in the league since last December, and he hasn't registered an assist since June. So I mean that's oh. that's not that's not the, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that, that worries me more than anything to be honest that See, you're saying all those w- things. Wolves and Villa fans are quite similar because that'd be my mentality as well to be honest. Um, but yeah, but it's not all about goals and assists. You know, chance creation is more important at the end of the day. And and, yeah. and without him, they wouldn't have scored either goal at Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. He was instrumental in the build up to both. So um, and he has yeah, it was Matt Target. He had um, he had a great time against I think last season. Um, yeah. So, I think Target ended up coming off actually. Yeah, and because I, of him. Yeah, I, mean, I remember tweeting at the twi- tweet, Yeah, I remember tweeting at the time that he'd come off, come off with it with an, an injury of embarrassment because um, he was, well. <laughs> he was yeah, he, he got torn to shreds. But yeah, that was right in the middle of Traore's purple patch. But if you know, if he can get if he can get Target isolated or whoever's at left back, then um, like I said, he's almost impossible to stop. Yeah, I don't remember Neil Taylor faring much better, to be fair, <laughs> when he came on. Villa have like, developed this annoying habit that I think Wolves have had maybe maybe the year before last, where they're, they're beating the, the big teams, the teams you wouldn't expect them to beat, but then they go and lose to Brian at home. Mm. Do, 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 am I right in thinking that Wolves had a phase like that as well? Yeah, the first season they came up, they lost... They lost annoying. H- H- Huddersfield won three games that season, and, and two of them were against Wolves. Oh, yeah. And it was yeah. it was bonkers, they, 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 but they were brilliant against, against the top six, and... That was sort of down to their style of play, really. They were very adept at sitting deep and defending and hitting teams on the break. Whereas when teams came to sit off them, they did struggle. Um, and teams would teams would kind of out wolves wolves, really. So they're still kind of they're still kind of going through that phase of, of trying to become a top team that that can overload and dominate with possession and score lots of goals. You know, it's not easy to do that. And they've spent a lot of money and 
not really made huge inroads in that regard yet, but it's, it's a long-term project. You know, Foton are convinced that Nuno's here to stay for a while and um, and they think over the next few years they can still kind of evolve and become a top four team that, that can dominate small teams at home, so to speak. But yeah, they do still have that issue as well. Yeah, finally from me, the, the big question, not, not by so much around the weekend, but which of the two clubs do you think has the, the biggest chance of being the so-called best of the rest this season? Because it's, it's an open Premier League and it feels like if there's going to be any season for Villa or Wolves to take advantage of that, it's going to be this one. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, if you ask a Wolves fan now where Wolves are going to finish, most would say that they're not going to repeat the top seven finish of, of the past two seasons. And I think there is an acceptance that this is a this is a bit of a transitional season for Wolves. However, they can still grind out any result on their day and, and I, I, I still fancy them to beat almost any team that, that they take on. So if they can make a couple of shrewd additions in in the January market, which they need to, particularly in terms of a striker, then I'd back them. I'd back them to push for for top seven, maybe even push top six again. And it's difficult to know with Villa because they start the season so well, and then the last few weeks, what they lost lost four or five, is it four out of the last five? Yeah, we've lost four of the last five. Yeah, that's right. So I, I don't really know what I don't really know what Villa are yet. I think it's it's still it's still a bit uh, still a bit early to call really with them being so inconsistent. So. I, th- I think I think on their day, we'll, we'll, Wolves have still got the edge over Villa, um, but with it being yeah. with it being with it being a transitional season, it'll be a lot obviously a lot tighter than last year. But I think I'd Wolves, I'd back Wolves just just to edge them this season. We'll both be well ahead of the Albion. That's all that matters, mate. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. If we're not ahead of the Albion, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think there might be some, some form of problems going on. It's been great to talk to you. I've, I've really enjoyed catching up and, and speaking to you, and I'm not looking forward to how many goals and assists Adama Traore is going to get at the weekend. But all the best for the rest of the season, just not on Saturday. Nice one, mate. You too. Cheers. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Saturday's game at Wolves is Villa's Rainbow Laces fixture, so I had a chat with Samuel Timms from Villa and Proud to talk about that and much more ahead of the game. Samuel, a pleasure to have you on 1874. Personally, I think it's a really important thing to, to raise awareness of Villa and Proud, which you're heavily involved in. So for, for those who don't know, can you just tell us a little bit about the group? Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Um, no worries. Yeah, so the group is an official group to Aston Villa Football Club, um, and we were set up in 2018. Um, and our mission is to empower, support, and build LGBTQ plus inclusion, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and other, um, for fans, players, and staff of Aston Villa Football Club. Um, and yes. Our whole role is to make sure that um, Villa Park, in our terraces, at away matches, that we can 
we can support a community and that's not just with fans that is with uh, like I said players and staff of Aston Villa football because yeah, I'm lucky enough that I've, I've never really felt like I couldn't be myself at Villa Park I've always felt welcome, never had any issues, but unfortunately that won't be the case for everyone, which is why what, what you do with Villa and Proud is so, so important. Do you think that has been an improvement around the place in acceptance in the last few years? And I just wanted to know, have you ever felt uncomfortable at Villa Park? Uh, it's, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll go on the last point. Um, I always feel uncomfortable at Villa Park. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've been going all my life. My dad's been taking yeah. me a little boy um i've always been worried that i mean let's for example um i would never in a million years and i don't think i ever will do until the day that i die is is hold my hands uh, hand in hand with uh, my boyfriend gary going to a football match i could never do that walking to to villa park i love villa park <laughs> i'm villa through and through it's a fantastic venue we have fantastic fans but it just takes one fan to sort of um, say something that might just completely spoil my day or Gary's day. Um, yeah. You know, I always get a bit worried about taking a photo and that. But but football is changing. You know, we're having conversations that we never would have had. Um, you know, for example, you know, it, in 1988, for example, you know, like you weren't even allowed to. So a law was brought in. You couldn't even talk about LGBTQ plus rights at school. And that was only lifted in 2003. So it really wasn't that long ago. So 17 years ago, where we were then allowed to talk about LGBT people, that's teachers, that's pupils, just talking about that. And that thing, that has a knock-on effect in football is that um, it all becomes hush-hush and something that potentially goes against the grain, especially in the male world, where we're all sort of raised um, into football. I, I mean, I was just your standard kid who loved playing football at school and uh, and every weekend I you know I lied about doing my homework and just wanted to go and play football and the thing is is that I didn't fit what I thought was a stereotype of an LGBTQ plus person and we just need to remember that in football but it is changing. Yeah I just find that quite not sad, sorry, the sad that sad the right word but I, I feel sorry that that you feel and feel like that at the football but then again, I completely understand it because, it, like you say, it only takes one person to, to ruin your day and, and, and your day is ruined. It takes one person to say something stupid and, and your day is ruined. And I just think nobody should be made to think like, to, to feel like that in life, let, let alone go into the football. And it's just something that doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. And I, I'm just, yeah, I, 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 I've, I say I'm, I'm sorry to you because I, I don't want you to, to feel that. Like I've got to know you a little bit over the last few few years. A, a great guy and someone who's doing some, some great work and trying to help other people and, and you don't deserve that. How, how inclusive do you think Villa is and, and how has it been for you to work with the club directly? Uh, well, I mean, you know, you know full well that uh, Aston Villa is, is, is a beast. It's, it's a massive club. Um, but but sometimes just when you're, when you're a big club like that um, processes are a little bit slower um, there's a lot more people work there um, brand is a massive part of the club and equality for the club is, is huge um, you know I've had the privilege of speaking to people uh, high up at the club and, and they've reassured me and they've shown me their plan where you know Aston Villa want to be that top six club in everything that they do and yeah. and equality comes into that. Um, sometimes what happens is that equality never used to be in the top 10 priority things for a football club. 
now you look across the board, um, equality, diversity and inclusion um, as a whole comes into a top 10 um, requirements of what a club wants to do. Because the thing is, they're staff members. Like we look at players, you know, they're staff members. They're, <laughs> they're employees. Yeah, they get paid a lot of money, but they're employees at the end of the day for a club. And uh, the fans are, are literally like, imagine you're at work and just um, sort of, this person just coming around your desk and you're typing away and someone just starts shouting abuse at you and like, you know, you're not typing quick enough, you're not doing this. And then, and then calling some sort of, you know, geographic words that are going to hurt you. And mm. it's not just about LGBTQ plus rights. It's about, it's about making sure that football is welcoming to, to people of color, faith, religion, disabilities. Um, and we have a lot more women as well that are, you see at Villa Park, which is great. And, and across the country but I think Villa as a whole uh, the way I look at it is Aston Villa is a massive oil tanker and we're trying to turn a corner or put or try and put ourselves into reverse right and and, and go into a different way for uh, equality but to turn an oil tanker takes a lot of effort it's quite slow um, you know I wish we were a speedboat and we could be really agile and turn quickly but things are really really changing the club and it's it's great to see yeah, and that's that's great to hear as as a Villa fan who wants everyone included as well. I'm really really pleased to hear that. Now I know the postponement last week of the Newcastle game at Villa Park. I know you you guys have plans around the game, which which is really disappointing. So the focus now shifts to the Wolves fixture fixture, sorry, which is an away fixture and is the club's official Rainbow Laces game now. How, how important is that campaign in raising awareness? It's huge. Um, you know, Rainbow Laces itself. Uh, the laces themselves to a lot of everyday people that don't really get um, you know, LGBTQ plus equality, um, they don't really get it. I've been in conversations with with people that have never really been affected by, you know, maybe they don't know someone that's gay or, or in sport or whatever. Um, the campaign itself is, it gives, it gives conversations to be had. You know, it's great to see that large organisations like, um, you know, Sky Sports, BT, uh, the Premier League, the EFL, you know, institutes Aston Villa and, and, and major sporting clubs around around the country support it um, because a lot of it all comes down to action um, on what we can try and do, and we, we have to action um, positive positivity at clubs. Um, but visibility is, is a real key point to to start a conversation. You know, why do we still need to do these things, and um, well, why do we do them? You know, and the whole why is to make sure that we can empower people to turn up to football matches. Um, you know, we can empower, you know, Villa and Proud have a banner at, at Villa Park. It's 30 foot long, right? It's huge. And um, the thing is, I, I always think that players that walk out onto the pitch and see that, um, and all the directors, because it's facing um, across all the boxes in the Trinity stand, um, it gets to make people to start thinking, it gets people to start thinking about why LGBTQ plus is, has to be visualised. It's, it's purely because we don't have an out and out gay player um, mm. in the Premier League or the EFL, top, top divisions. And, uh, and we need to realise why that is um, because statistics will, you know, it's definitely in favour of there's going to be a player out there that's, that's gay or bisexual. 
Yeah, I mean, someone who is out and someone not, I know very well is, is Thomas Hitzelsberger. And I know he's offered the Villa and Proud group support and he's just a, an unbelievable guy. I'm, I'm so proud of him. How, how has he been working with him and getting to speak to him? Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 30 now. I, I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm old, but... Um, still, I'm young, still young, mate. Still young, 30. <laughs> um, and Thomas, when I, was, when I was growing up and, you know, going to the Villa with my dad... Um, I always remember the goal he scored against Birmingham and, sure. and he was the sort of starting point for all Villa fans to start shouting shoot. And I remember listening on TV and uh, the commentators going, do you hear everyone shouting shoot? Um, and that all came and stemmed from, from Thomas and he was a great football player and everyone judged him by his football. Yeah. And for someone like myself uh, and there was other people around, around Villa Park um, coming to terms with their sexual orientation, you know, their sexuality and, and gender identity um, is, is a huge issue and, and something that causes a lot of anxiety in people. Um, and for someone like Thomas, yes, he did it. it and this, this speaks volumes, you know, he came out after he had played on the pitches, played on football. Um, but there's a lot of questions to be asked because, you know, why? Why did that have to be that way? Was he open in the changing room? You know, and the thing is now what you see is that obviously the Premier League is a global brand. You know, top players from all around the world want to play in the Premier League. People want to watch the Premier League. I think it's, it's broadcasted in 188 countries. You know, it's, it's like, I don't even know how many millions of people watch it, billions or whatever. But a lot of these countries that do watch it, you know, being LGBTQ plus is illegal. Um, and some of these countries, it's punishable by, by death, you know, and, and that's crazy to think that simply um, your, sexual, your sexual orientation is something that can be so poorly exposed um, across football, but we know that football has the power to really open conversations up and it has a community within inside Villa Park and, and, and stadiums up and down the country. But Thomas Hitzelsberger is, is a really, really good voice for us. You know, he's an ambassador. He works out in Stuttgart. You know, he's highly respected as a person. Um, he does a lot of work around equality. And I just think that his voice, um, he, gets to, he gets to communicate with Villa fans because any Villa fan that starts to worry about, like, oh, what's this got to do with football? Why are we bringing LGBT stuff into it? But Thomas is one of them. He's one of the statistics that have have blessed our, our club, um, but someone that could never feel comfortable coming out to the Villa Faithful while playing on pitch, you know, and, and those are the sort of questions we should make sure that Villa Park, the players, staff and fans should always, always be welcoming. Yeah, and I think I mean, we were talking just, just before we came on to, to record and I was saying, I think when I was a kid growing up, I'd have 100% heard homophobic abuse in, in the stands, definitely, and it, and it wouldn't have been called out. Whereas I, th- I think we're in a place now where if someone someone was to do the, the same homophobic abuse of, of players on the pitch or people in the stands now, I genuinely think a, a lot of fans would stand up and say, you can't say that. So in a way, that, that's quite refreshing, isn't it? Because I, I do think we're in a different place to when Thomas was actually playing, because I think that's the time I'm alluding to, and that would have been when, when I would have heard things. Yeah. Calling, honestly, we, we do something at Villa Proud. We have a campaign that's been running for a year, just over a year now, called Villa Allies. And... Uh, the way I looked at it when I set up Villa and Proud is that we, we don't want to be LGBTQ plus exclusive. 
Mm. We are everyone inclusive. And what that means is that we've got to try and we've got to try and talk to everybody. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about our lives, you know, and we we, have, we all have a passion for football, Aston Villa, and we should be able to use that one common interest in empowering us all to go, do you know what? We should step out at Villa Park and we should be very proud fans. We should be making sure that our club is leading by example. And fans can have that power to do that. You see things that have obviously happened with Millwall and that and yeah. the damaging effect it has on a club by just the minority of people doing it. And I, I do want to stress a minority of people at Millwall. Sure. And um, the thing is, is that calling out discrimination is so vital and it's really simple to do. But, but sometimes it's also really daunting for someone to do that because someone might feel a little bit worried, intimidated to say something. But if we can try and empower more and more Villa fans, and these are the same fans for up and down the country, to be together in allies, because I'm an ally myself. You know, I'm an ally that supports race equality, disability, sexism. I want to get rid of out of the game. You know, yeah. we need to make sure that we can all together as one voice and the club can use this platform as well because Aston Villa Football Club as an organisation is the biggest ally without a doubt because every single person that is devoted to the club will listen in some way. And sometimes this is where damaging effects come from campaigns like Rainbow Laces is that because a lot of people that don't really want to sort of engage with it, they say, oh, it's just sort of put on players to say stuff and the clubs to say stuff. What I do want to see is clubs, the Premier League, empowering these clubs to go and make their own campaigns that are yeah. really strong and let's use that competitive edge that clubs have on one-on-one -on -one with each other on the football pitch but let's have it off the pitch and let's have a proper celebration of of community equality yeah i mean just i mean i think education is a massive thing here and i include myself in that as i am a villa ally but there's always room for me to be educated i think if well, from what you've just said what i've taken away there is the fact that i've asked you to come on this week, but why, why haven't I asked you to come on at a different point? Why has it taken to be a Rainbow Laces campaign for me to ask you to, to get involved in a podcast? So that's that's poor from my side. And as I say, there's a there's an education to be had for everyone, however, however much of an ally, are, ally you are. Sorry, there's, there's always room for learning. And the main thing is, I think we, we all love Aston Villa. So that's something that every one of us has in common. So hopefully, mate, I hope that that can be used as a positive and it, and it can drive a change. And I, and I thank you ever so much for joining me today. And I really, really, really love talking to you and I appreciate you coming on, pal. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Loved it. Thanks, Dan.